You are now listening to the June 1st broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and it's time to pray the Bible. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. In this podcast series, Alan and I will discuss material adapted from our book, The Marital Mystery Tour. Join us as we share practical steps to put into action God's principles from His Word, one step at a time. This is Alan Heller, and we're talking with Polly Heller. Hello. And we're talking about the Communistar today. We're more on communication. We've been talking about how we talk and that we need a communication room and all that sort of thing with our marital mystery tour. Just to review a little bit, we talk about comradeship. You need to be friends before lovers. We need to have commitment, and there are no backdoors to the relationship. And now we're talking about communication, different aspects of communication. And uh, later, we're going to, in one of our other podcasts, we're going to be talking about communicating with God and communicating with each other and talking about prayer. But today, we're talking about this thing called a communistar. And, Polly, why don't you just give us a, a, a visual picture of what a communistar is? <laughs> well, and why the heck do we need one? We like to use diagrams to help people understand visually some of the concepts that go into communication. And we created for expressing to each other what's going on inside of us internally. We created a visual diagram that's a six-pointed star with a circle around it, if you can imagine sort of a, a sheriff's badge. And each one of those points of the star is a little triangle that um, describes describes one of our experiences that we're having. Right. And so... um, Up at the top, we have feeling, which another word for feeling we say is... Emotions. Right. And then we go, go around the star, we have want... Which is your intentions or your goals or your Or your expectations because a lot of people have a hard time with expectations. And then we go on to do. It says do, but it's really action, past, present, or a future action that we're going to experience or describe. Yes. And the, the point at the bottom of the star is sense, which has to do with the five senses. So what's going on, what I perceive physically, what I'm seeing with my eyes, what I'm hearing with my ears, some, sometimes Taste, maybe touch, what I'm t- smell. Yeah, tasting, touching. Yes. So if you have little kids, I say one of the senses is I smell the diaper rather than why don't you change the diaper? You, <laughs> you can tune into your sense and say, I smell the diaper. I think you need to change him. And then sometimes we, ha- we interpret those, uh, our senses with what we think. So that's our interpretation. And that's sometimes where we get into trouble because I see your 
a certain expression on your face. I've seen you do a certain action. But that, we found that so much better. I see that you're doing this rather than you always are doing that or you never do this or you never change the diaper. Right. But I see you do this or I see this expression on your face and automatically I think something about it. I perceive something mm-hmm. and I jump to a conclusion about it. So I, I see you move briskly across the room. I see you frowning and I think you're mad at me. Mm. And really, I just had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had nothing to do with mad. I just so, need to get there quick. Right. So a lot of times that what we think is well, you're interpreting what you see. So we talk about later in our when we do our workshop, we talk about mixed messages. What I see and what I'm thinking are two different things. Right. And sometimes the person who's doing it is doing a mixed message or I'm getting a mixed message from what I see. Right. So So, it's possible for me to be reacting to something that I'm thinking that you're doing or something that's going on inside of you, and it can be a total misperception. So going around the store, then you have discern, and we like to put almost like a dotted line there. Discern is when God sort of comes into the situation so I may be – we may have prayed about something and we're, we're – like when we were – had little kids, we were praying about homeschooling and uh, – or actually we sent them to school uh, when they were in kindergarten or nursery school. And then like in a conversation, I might say, you know, honey, as I was taking time today with the Lord, I was just sensing that maybe we should do homeschooling rather than – regular school or it's when god breaks into your conversation or your thought process and so we're in our conversation with another person we want to make room for god to speak right right for something that comes into our awareness from outside of ourselves the spiritual aspect but we don't want to use this to manipulate i mean i could say honey i really discern that i'm supposed to play golf like right. during the time we the were Lord supposed to clean up the house. <laughs> the Lord is telling me that you're supposed to take me out to dinner tonight. Yeah. So yeah. we don't want that stuff. But <laughs> So discern. And then the last one is think. And so uh, as we're describing this, I mean, if you would like one of these diagrams, just um, get in touch with us at walkandtalk.org. W-A-L-K-A-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G, and um, my email is alan, A-L-A-N, at walkandtalk.org. So if you'd like to get one of these, just give us an email and we'll email it to you. So this whole thing about the Communistar, though, is attitude plus skills equals understanding. And again, in our six-hour communication workshop that we do with couples, we talk about that if you have a bad attitude, it doesn't matter what skills you have, you're not going to get understanding. And um, we want to understand first before we get our point across or that we agree or disagree. And most of our conversations tend to be about agreement and disagreement rather than just first understanding and even knowing what am I hearing you say. So I, I listen through my filter of the stuff going on in my head And sometimes I totally misrepresent what you just talked to me about. 
Is that right? Well, yeah, that back. <laughs> I see you smiling. I'm thinking you think that's right. So uh, in the middle of the star, we have the issue, and we try and take one issue at a time. And this whole principle is based upon Ephesians 4.29, which says that our communication is supposed to be edifying for the need of the moment, that it might give grace to the one who hears. And I just think sometimes we forget that, that um, Proverbs talks about a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And uh, I think there's another one in Proverbs that says, a fool does not care about understanding, but only in revealing what's going on in his own head. (laughs) And that's the Allen uh, translation. So at any rate, we're trying to give you a tool that will slow down the process, that will help you be able, if you keep going through arguments and things where the same thing happens over and over again, this might be a tool that could help you. Most of the people say the closing the loop process, which we described in a podcast before this, and the Communistar are the most helpful hands-on things that people tell us. Isn't that what you've heard? Yes, definitely. That's what she's heard. (laughs) (laughs) So here's an idea of um, Polly in our workbook. And we also have a communication workbook. And again, you can get that from walkandtalk.org. But um, I feel that this decision was based on insufficient data. I feel like we shouldn't have spent so much time on the project. Now, that's not. That's, that's more a thought. And in America, we tend, and I don't know about Korea, but in America, we tend to say, I feel like, and as soon as you say those words, I feel like, uh, you're probably going to give a thought rather than a feeling. And even though probably about 80% of our, uh, or maybe it's 55% uh, is body language when we communicate that that communication is through body language, and maybe only, um, I don't know, 20% is words, we feel like it's important. Ah, I did it. Did you hear that? If you were listening, I said, I feel like, (laughs) 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 and I gave a thought. So there we are. There's an illustration of- of, here's here's the point. What's the point of all this? The point is that, that you need to be aware that even though you are saying, I feel like, or I feel that, that what you are giving to the other person, what you are expressing to the other person when you use that expression is not an emotion. Right. And what you need to be aware of as a person who is sending a message is that you need to be you need in to touch be accurate with, your with what you're saying. Yeah. You need to be in touch with how you are really feeling because whether you're aware of your own emotions or not, they're being expressed in the tone of your voice and in your facial expression and in your body language. It's coming across. So if you're starting to feel upset and angry or if you're really sad about something, uh, that 
intense emotion is going to come out in a quavery voice or in a frown, in grinding your teeth, in clenched fists, it's whatever it is that's going on is going to be expressed whether you're aware of that feeling or not. And in the meantime, your partner or the person who is hearing you and watching you is receiving those messages and interpreting them herself or himself. So I see you frowning. I hear your voice getting louder and louder and more intense. I see you grinding your teeth, and I think he's angry. But if you don't know yourself, you're not in touch, you don't admit to yourself that you are angry and you're not expressing it, I really feel angry about this, right. then then your partner is left um, misinterpreting or interpreting something and responding to you in a way that you don't even realize you're communicating yourself. Right. So, so I, I, I just want to say I looked up what the you know studies. There was a study in 1971 uh, that was done, and it's 55 percent of the weight of a speaker's uh, how it comes across is body language, and then 38 percent is tone. So if you add 55 and 38, what's left? My math is not so good. But. <laughs> it's 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 more than it's more it's, it's like, like 90 percent has nothing to do with the words and yet what we've found as we work with couples is that it's helpful to delineate the difference between feelings and thoughts and men tend to think and then do and women tend not always but women tend to feel and then they take action and that's why we miss each other because we are in, we interpret life and we speak about life in almost two different languages, which is why, you know, they have the men are from Mars and women are from Venus. It doesn't matter where they're from. They're just from two different countries, that's, you know, <laughs> and they need to learn how to talk. So a couple of the illustrations that you gave in, in our workbook, and also we gave some of the communication stuff in the Marital Mystery Tour, which is what we're basing our podcasts on, I was happy when you said you liked my dress. So happy is an emotion. I felt hurt and rejected because no one came to visit me in the hospital. So somebody else might say, uh, eh, I didn't like it when you came to the hospital. Well, I didn't like it. Okay. But when you say I felt hurt and rejected, those are pretty descriptive words. I think that's the key is that we're saying words that match what's going on inside. And uh, one of the things we tell people is if you want to communicate heart to heart, heart is really our emotion. And so if we're communicating our deepest feelings, then we're going to feel connection. So men, if you want to connect with your wife, instead of grunting at the dinner table and going, yeah, nope, uh-huh, yeah, it was good. I would suggest you say, I had a lousy day today and, it, and I just felt really depressed. Oh, okay. Well, that describes a whole bunch. Or I really was upset and hurt by 
my boss telling me that we're not going to do our project this week when he promised that we were going to do it last week. And so normally men just don't talk like that. We rarely, we're, we're just talking about the, the thoughts that we have. Well, I think we ought to do that project next week. And I, this guy is really, and it's all outward. It's all, it's about the mission. It's not about what's going on inside. And, and that takes a lot of work for us men to get in touch with our feelings. And even in our marriage, you had to take a long time uh, to get in touch with what you felt rather than what you thought or what you did. I mean, if I'd ask you, how was your day? You just give me a list of 10 things that you did. I went to the grocery store. I helped the kids get to the ball game. I did this, I did that. And I would say, did you feel anything? And there was this long pause. And I thought, oh, she's supposed to know how she feels. Even in the uh, example, the scripture that you gave earlier, the Ephesians verse, that our communication is to be edifying for the need of the moment. And if the moment only calls for giving a to-do list, I need you to do this and this and this and this today, and I'm on my way out the door, there's no huge emotion attached to it. And if you're in a business setting and you need to have a lot of things done and to gather people together and you're handing out responsibilities and a checklist for the day, you don't need to t tell people, I would feel so good if you got all of these tasks <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not for today. everyday I mean, conversation. Right. It's their job and they need to be doing their job. Right. But if something comes up between us, we're talking about here in the context of marriage, something is coming up between the two of us and I... I see you reacting to me about something that I just said sort of off the cuff. What did I do now? You know, I, I stepped on your toes, but I don't know how I did it or, or what I said or if right. you're just – then that's when I need to stop and check things out and say I'm, I'm seeing an expression on your face. I'm, I'm hearing a shift in the way that you're talking the tone to of me. Voice. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, your tone of voice. I, I saw you turn away from me just now. I saw you frown. I'm wondering what is going on. I can check it out, and I can report all this sensory data. This is where part of the communistar comes in. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm hearing. Uh, can you tell me what's going on and just check it out? Right. So a as we start to head toward home here and wrap it up, the thing that I would like you to know as a listener is that as a speaker, I can use this tool of the Communistar, and as a listener, I can use it. I can be listening for each of those parts of the star. And um, again, I want to just list those things. If you just want to put them in order, one, two, three, four, five, that's fine. But if you, again, if you want to uh, get the actual diagram, just email us at alan, A-L-A-N, at walkandtalk.org. But let me just list them again. We have feelings or emotions, wants or expectations or desires. We have action or what we do, past actions or present or future that we want to report to the person we're talking to. We have sense, the five senses, what we see, hear, and that's usually what you're going to do in interpersonal communication. You're going to be 
talking about what you saw the person do, what you heard them say, or how you heard them say it. So hear, see, uh, taste, touch, smell. And then discern, uh, which is God speaking to us. And you may not always have that. Um, So we don't want you to force the, the fact that God spoke to me or I felt an impression, but we want to make, leave room for him. And then thinking, uh, just our interpretation and most of our conversation, that's how we talk, head to head, thought to thought. And so uh, we would encourage you to use this skill to slow down your communication, to be able to think, what am I experiencing? And sometimes we've found it even helpful to just write it out write out. What do I think? What do I feel? What do I want? We put it in a star because the goal is to include each of these elements, but they don't have to go in a circle or they don't have to go um, chronologically or anything. I could think something, want something, sense something, uh, feel something and do, or I could take action and somebody might ask me, well, what did you want? And it might be totally different than what they wanted, And then we actually get to connect on that. So the main thing for using this tool, I mean, what's been most helpful to you? For me, the most important part of this has been to gain awareness for myself Mm -hmm. of what was really going on inside of me. Because I thought you were supposed to just see me and know. And I didn't even know what my own expectations were and what my own feelings were a lot of the time. They were just coming out. So to use this tool as a way to get in touch with myself so that I can report it accurately to my partner, to you mostly, is the, <laughs> the most important thing. Right. And, and so the people that are closest to us or the people we see the most or spend the most time with, I mean, this can be done as a couple, this can be done in a family, this can be done at work too, or at school. People that you see often, it's really helpful to be able to use your star to close the loop. In other words, a sender and a receiver and make sure you understand before you um, just launch in <laughs> to your argument or whatever. So it's helpful to connect each other through the tool of the Communistar. And if you, again, if you have any questions, feel free to just get in touch at our website, walkandtalk.org. Next time, Polly, I want to talk about contracting for time because many couples have told us that it really helps to take a time out. And we'll talk more about what that, what that means and how you do it in our next podcast. So until then, we look forward to you walking your talk. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org.
And together we Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is James chapter 2. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. 
the first part of James chapter one. And in that, James details how Christians are to live their lives in the light of trials, right? And we kind of summed it up this way. James is talking about how to walk the walk when the walk is tough. And that's the reality of it is life can be tough and being a Christian can be tough. And so James has some really great wisdom for those of us as we go through this life and face different trials of many kinds. As we pointed out, being a Christian doesn't make you immune to trials. It'd be great if it did. And it one day will (laughs) in glory. But now, while we walk this earth, in fact, being a Christian can even make things harder, right? It can make things harder because we we are denying ourselves. We're taking up our crosses. We're following a Savior, a holy Savior in an impure world. And so being a Christian can make things even harder. So James wastes no time. He literally starts with a one-sentence introduction, and then he jumps right into his first topic, which is how to walk the walk when the walk is tough. As a matter of fact, James went as far as to say this, count it all joy, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, right? Christians are to have an attitude of joy, which at face value seems absolutely crazy. Who in their right mind has an attitude of joy when life becomes difficult or when trials end up at our doorstep? But here's the kicker. When James begins to explain, when he starts explaining why we should count it all joy, it makes perfect sense from a Christian perspective, from a Christian worldview. It makes perfect sense to you and me. It won't make sense to the world, but it makes perfect sense to you and to me. Because James reminds us that it's all about perspective. And the right perspective is always the eternal perspective. The right perspective is always the eternal perspective. It doesn't matter if we're talking about our marriage, our finances, our home, our career. The right perspective is always the eternal perspective, especially when we're talking about trials and how to deal with them. The reason we as believers count it all joy is because we have an eternal perspective when it comes to trials. And we know that it is in the midst of trials that God is often doing his greatest work. This is what we talked about last week. James says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So to summarize last week, and that's what I'm doing, here's a summary of last week. Perspective determines attitude, and attitude is everything when life becomes difficult. That's it. That's what James talked about. Perspective determines attitude, and the the right perspective is always the eternal perspective. The perspective determines attitude, and attitude is everything when life becomes difficult. And so in the next section of James that we will be looking at today, James continues to drive home the importance of having the right attitude and the right perspective when life becomes difficult. And I got news. Uh, Maybe I don't. But there are many people in here today that are in difficult times or are facing difficulties of one kind or another. And so this letter becomes very practical to us today. Let me show you what I mean when I say James continues this theme. This is what he says beginning in verse nine. We're gonna take a little section of James today and we're gonna break it down. So this is the first section. This is what it says. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also Will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits? 
So what in the world is James talking about in this section? He's talking about boasting. Remember, he already said, count it all joy. Now he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich man boast in his humiliation. So before we answer that question, what is James talking about? I need to remind you of an important truth. Every one of you know what I'm about to say, but I need to remind you of it. And here it is. Trials don't discriminate. Trials do not discriminate. Hard times do not discriminate. It doesn't matter if you are a poor Christian or a rich Christian. Trials will eventually end up on everyone's door. And that's exactly what James is talking about when he says, let the lowly brother or the poor brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich, material, well-off person or believer in his humiliation. You know what's interesting is that a lot of Christians, and not just Christians, most people believe that if they just had enough money, all their trials would go away, right? That's why the lottery is so popular. It is. We buy lottery tickets because we think if I win, all my problems go away. No, they don't. Some of your problems might go away, but not all of them. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Trials and hard times will eventually come knocking on everyone's door. And so James has a word of wisdom for people that find themselves in either one of those categories. And so James begins with the poor believer. He says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. In other words, when trials come upon a Christian who by worldly standards has nothing or next to nothing, that believer is to boast in his high or exalted position as a child of God. This is what he or she is to do. By worldly standards, you might be considered poor. You might not have a whole lot, but don't let that bother you. You have something that far surpasses all of that. You and I are children of the living God. Amen? When you are in a low position in life, if you've been be dealt bad cards, and then trials make things even tougher, just remember, you might be hungry, but you have the bread of life. You might be thirsty, but you have living water. You might be poor, but you have eternal riches. You might be homeless, but you have a mansion in heaven. Amen? This is what James is talking about. If you find your lot in life to be one of lowliness, and as a believer, you have trials piled on you on top of that, you, you do the most crazy thing possible. You boast. You boast when times get tough. Why? Because you are a child of God. Peter says it this way. Again, church, I present to you the word of God this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen to this. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what the very next sentence says? It says this, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. In what? In the fact that you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And oh, by the way, you too, your faith is being guarded by God himself. And all of this that you stand to inherit is about to be revealed in the last times. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Doesn't matter who you are, trials will come. Difficult times will come knocking on everyone's door. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Folks, whatever you do in this lifetime, never forget this world is not your home. We are here today. We are gone tomorrow. As a result, we who are believers, we have set our mind on things above, not on things below. And because of this, we boast, not that we have great riches in this lifetime or on this earth, but that we have great riches stored up for us in heaven. And by the way, that is why the Bible, when it talks about believers in previous generations, great men and women of God, when it talks about them, they're poor and yet they're rich. Listen to what Hebrews says. They, that is the great men and women of faith that went before us, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. If you have a home today that you came from, you are blessed amongst believers. We are blessed amongst believers. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something, and say that word with me, better. He had provided something better. And that better is what we stay focused on as believers. And then James has a word of wisdom for people that find themselves in just the opposite situation. For those who are well off, James says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. You might not have anything, but you have everything. But then he says this, and the rich in his humiliation. Who in the world would boast in their humiliation? Listen, just as the material poor believer should rejoice in his spiritual riches, so the material rich believer should glory in his humiliation. What James is getting at is this, the believer who is material well off and healthy and enjoying great worldly blessing. Such a believer should rejoice when trials come their way. Why? Because God is humbling us and teaching us the temporary and transitory nature of things and teaching us to get our eyes off this world and to set them on things above. And that is exactly why James talks about the flowers and the grass of the field which quickly fade away. That's what he does, right? Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Why? Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Listen, folks, it is this section of scripture that applies to most everyone in this room right now. Because by worldly standards, those of us sitting in this room right now are rich compared to other believers around the world. And we are rich compared to believers of other generations. As a matter of fact, the believers in this generation living in the United States might have more, and I don't know this for a fact, but might have more wealth than all the other believers down through the centuries combined. I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. Listen, you might not be swimming in money this morning, but we collectively live in the wealthiest country on the planet. We have access to more luxury, more health care, more privilege than all other believers on the face of the planet and down through world history. And so when trials come our way, for those of us who are Christians living in the United States, what should we do? Here's what we do. We boast in our humiliation. Amen? 
Listen, if this could be heard by those in this country, they would say, I'm crazy. Who boasts in their humiliation? The church in America does. The church in America does. Because God is reminding us not to become too comfortable. He's teaching us to run with the finish line in mind. He's getting our eyes off this world and setting them on things above. So when trials come to our door, those of us living in the richest country in the earth, we boast in our humiliation. Thank you, God, that you are humbling me. Thank you, God, that you are stripping me. Praise God for that. That is why Jesus said, we count ourselves blessed when we are persecuted. James says we count it all joy and why James says we boast in our humiliation. Folks, you know and I know there is a danger when we become too comfortable, is there not? And that danger is that we let the riches and wealth that surround us make us lazy and lull us to sleep. It's a very common occurrence. As a matter of fact, Jesus had these words to say to the church of Laodicea, for you say, and this is the church Jesus is speaking on behalf of the church, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and here are, here are four of the worst words in all of scripture, and I need nothing. Folks, you don't want to have to speak those words. See, by worldly standards, those are great words. I need nothing. That's why people play the lottery because they want to be in a position where they need nothing or they think they need nothing. We as believers don't boast in that. We don't pursue that. We love being dependent upon the Lord. We love being humbled. We love it when God strips us. Why? Because then we rely upon his grace, his mercy, his strength, his provision. Do we not? For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, Poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, be zealous and repent. Now I want you to notice what verse 19 says. It says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Now, this is very, very important. God sometimes reproves and disciplines us through the use of trials. When trials come our way, God is testing us. The Bible makes that clear again and again. He's testing us. He's disciplining us. This is what Hebrews 12 is about. All true children of God are disciplined by him. If you are not disciplined by the Lord, you are illegitimate children. That's what Hebrews says. God uses trials to reprove and to discipline us. And so here's the important part of that. If you are here today and you are facing a trial and you're wondering, what is the point of this trial? There is a very good chance, I'm not saying it's the case, but there is a very good chance that God is perhaps working to pry your eyes and my eyes off the things of this world and set them on things above. Whatever you do, do not miss that. God's goal is very simple for the believer who is overly focused on worldly wealth. You want to know what it is? The scripture says right there, zealous repentance. Zealous repentance. Be zealous and repent. If you have the attitude that I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. When trials come your way, do not count it a curse. You boast You boast because God is humbling you. And trust me, he doesn't just humble anyone. He humbles his children so that they will be rich in faith and rich towards things above. Amen? This is what our God does. 
And so when trials come our way, we as believers do exactly opposite of what the world does. We count ourselves blessed. We count it all joy. We boast that God is humbling us. For when I am weak, then he is strong. He is strong. He is my strength. He is my provision. And if he strips from me everything, I still possess everything. And if he strips from me everything and I find myself suddenly a lowly brother or a poor brother, I still have reason to boast. Why? Because I boast in my exaltation. I am a child of God and I have an inheritance that is imperishable and that is being kept for me along with my faith, guarded by God in heaven for the day that Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. And this is why, folks, you store up treasures in heaven. You store up treasures in heaven like crazy. I got news for you. When you die, the money you have, you have no control over. It's gone. You might pass it on to other people, but you have no idea how they're going to use it. You have no idea where it's going to go or how it's going to be used. Store up treasures that last forever. Everyone knows how quickly wealth can become an idol. And the worst thing about this particular idol is that when wealth becomes an idol, it makes people proud, self-reliant, and spiritually apathetic. Again, that is precisely why God sends trials into the lives of believers who fall into this category. He's waking us up, praise God. He's waking us up and he's setting our mind on things above and this I boast. And that is exactly why James says these words. In the very next part of James, we looked at verse um, 9, 10, and 11. Here's verse 12. He says, blessed is the man who who remains steadfast under trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Listen, folks, God wants you and I focused on the crowns that are to come, not the riches of this world. Let me say that again. God wants us focused on the crowns that are to come and not the riches of this world. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your possessions. Don't get caught up in what the world is caught up in. Rather, live your life sold out for the Lord, fully focused on what is to come, investing in what is above. There is a crown in heaven with your name on it. Correction, there are crowns in heaven with your, names, your name on it. Many crowns. You stay focused on those crowns, not the earthly crowns, not earthly riches. And if God sends you through a child and strips you of earthly riches or strips you of different things, you boast in that. Because he is doing one of the most precious things he could do to a child of God. He is humbling you. He is humbling you and he's teaching you to be broken and contrite before your God, before the Lord, right? What does the Bible say? For the sacrifices that I desire are what? A broken and contrite heart, the Lord says. These I will not despise. The Lord does not need you and me to be self-reliant, proud, the type of people who are in need of nothing. He does not want that from us. He wants us broken, contrite, dependent upon him and his grace in every way, knowing that he is sufficient, he will provide, he is our strength, he is our rock, he is our hope. This is what he wants from us. And so if you're here today and you're facing trials, guess what? Boast, boast, because the God of the universe that created all things is doing a precious work in your life. And it may be painful, and I get it, and I'm not minimizing the pain that we face when we go through trials. It can be painful. And that is why there is a body of believers that God has left, you and I, to support each other and care for one another and walk with one another. But no one understands this. God is doing a precious, the most precious work that he could do in your life. So whether you're a poor believer or a rich believer, you can boast because God is at work. Now, it's very critical that we address 
a very important issue at this time because uh, James addresses it. But I have to teach you a spiritual principle first, okay? And here's the spiritual principle I need to teach you. And it is this, when undergoing trials, temptations will be everywhere. They, and I should have used the word everywhere. I used the word common. They will be everywhere. When trials come your way, difficult times come your way, with it comes inherent temptations. There are a million and one ways in which a believer can be tempted when undergoing trials. We can be tempted to doubt, to fear, to lash out, to grow bitter, to give in, to give up, you name it. Perhaps the biggest one is to seek a means of escape through sinful behavior. We go, this trial is too much to bear. I need a little bit of escape, and so I'm going to participate in my old habits. And the danger is that when we face temptation in the midst of trial is that we try to blame God for that temptation. And that is exactly why James says these words beginning in verse 13. This is all part of James chapter one. He says, let no one when he is tempted, especially when you're going through a trial, say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Now listen to this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his or her own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Listen, God uses trials to refine us, to test us. God might be using a trial to refine you, even this very day, but no one understand this. God will never, ever tempt you. If you find yourself in the midst of a trial and you keep giving in to temptations, of one kind or another, that is not God's fault. And we cannot place it at God's feet as much as we might want to do that. And trust me, I've been there. I've been there where difficult times have come my way and I make poor decisions in the midst of that trial. It's like, okay, here's a difficult situation and I just crash and burn. And then I kind of get up and I'm like, well, God, this is your fault. You know, you allowed this trial into my life. And God is like, yes, I'm using that trial to test you. But your silly decision-making, your poor decision-making, Bill, that's not on me. And know that I didn't tempt you. You fell because you were lured and enticed by your own desires. It's on you, Bill, not on me. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it abundantly clear, God is always working to do just the opposite in our lives. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. That means, folks, when you are in the midst of a trial or difficult times end up on your doorstep, you are not going to undergo anything that is not common to the rest of us. Difficult times come to everybody's doorstep. When they do, no one understand this. I get it. I understand. I understand. And when difficult times come to my doorstep, guess who I know understands? You. Because we're going through the same stuff. And so I know that I can come to you in the midst of a trial and go, I'm feeling tempted. I'm feeling tempted to lash out. I'm feeling tempted to treat my wife poorly. I'm being tempted to go back to old habits. I'm being tempted. And you know what you can say? I get it. I understand. It's common. That's what happens to me when I go through trials. No temptation is overtaking you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. Maze craze, Sunday's coming up. There's one way out of the maze. That's the point, is God's always got a way out of the maze. God's always got a way out of the maze. He'll provide it for you. He'll show it to you. The question is, will we follow him and will we follow his leading in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptations? 
And that way we'll be able to endure it. We're all familiar with that statement, right? Satan made me do it, right? Of course, none of you say that. But there have been criminals that have used that as a defense, right? Satan made me do it. They might be right. I don't know. But believe it or not, it can be a real temptation for those of us who are believers to try to place the, game, the blame for our bad decision-making at the feet of God when trials come our way. Times get a little bit tough. Things get tough at work. Things get tough at home. And it's like, I make a bad decision. God, that's your fault. No, it's not. James confronts this head on. As a matter of fact, James says this, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Far from being the source of temptation, God is rather the giver of every good and perfect gift in your life. Now, what I'm about to say is going to shock some of you, but listen carefully. The trials that you are facing right now in your life are literally a gift from God. The trials that you are facing in your life right now are literally a gift from God meant to test you, me, to refine us, to humble us, to break us, to strip us, to make us more holy, more godly, more focused, more dependent upon our God, to make you mature and complete so that you lack nothing, so that you lack nothing. There is a sense in which you and I can boast when we say, I need nothing. That is when we are spiritually mature in Christ. I lack nothing, right? I need nothing because God has raised me up to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Folks, if you want to look at the trials that you face in life as a curse, and as a result, you fall into sin, that's your fault. It's on you. It's not on God. Listen, attitude is everything when times become difficult. You can choose to count it all joy, to, count, to boast and count yourself blessed in the midst of trials because God is doing his greatest work. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you and we are reminded, God, of what truly matters in this lifetime. It is not that we have great wealth, great freedom, great luxury, great independence. None of this matters, Father. What matters is that we have hearts that are wholly devoted to you in every way, shape, and form, broken and contrite, constantly dependent upon our God, the God who created all things seen and unseen. Lord, forgive us of the times that we, in the midst of trials, have cursed your name or have lashed out or have been bitter or given in or given up. God, we thank you that you are the God of second, third, fourth chances. God, that even when we make those decisions that end up as dead ends, you redeem us and you set us back on the right path. Lord, I pray for all of us in here as we face trials and difficulties that you would give us strength, perseverance, hope, encouragement. God, that you would lift our hearts from this world and set them on things above. Let us run that, that race that is set before us with perseverance, with our eyes fixed on the finish line. In the quietness of your heart, spend a moment in private prayer. Bring to him any trial that you're facing, any temptation you're facing. Ask for strength, guidance, wisdom, victory. Spend a moment in private prayer with the Lord.
So Father, with humbled, broken, contrite hearts, we praise your name. And God, we surrender our lives to you, our riches to you, our wealth to you, our health to you, our homes to you, our cars to you, our clothes to you, our wallets, our finances, all of it, God, we surrender to you. All we ask, God, is that you would set our minds on things above. Let us be sold out in this generation for you in every way, shape, and form. So Father, as we leave now, we boast, not in the riches of this world, but in a God who calls us and sanctifies us In this we boast. We pray these things in the name of Christ. And the church said, amen.
now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour in our broadcast program. You can download the app for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries by visiting Google, Play Store, or the iTunes App Store. You can now listen to this week's or past week's program on your Android or iPhone. Just search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries to find it in the store. If you have any questions, please call us at 602-866-8999 or email us at heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. Coming up next is It's Time to Pray the Bible. My name is Deborah Joy. I'm the host of this program. It's time to pray the Bible. Today's first scripture reading is from Psalm 119, verses 44, 45, 49, 50, and 88 through 90. So I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. Revive me according to your loving kindness, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You established the earth, and it stands. The second scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. The last scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 2, Verses 3 through 6. By this, we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, The love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in Him. The one who says he abides in Him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Today, as we meditate on the Word of God together, I pray that He will give us a spirit of revelation and deeper understanding of the effectual and living power of His eternal Word. Lord, we are only truly happy when we walk in total integrity, walking in the light of Your Word. What joy overwhelms us when we keep Your ways and seek Your face as our heart's passion. 
how we long to bring you glory as we follow every one of your holy precepts. We consider your living word to be our purest jewel and deepest delight, and we have treasured it in our hearts to keep us from committing sins, treason against you. God, sanctify us by the power of your truth. We long to stay pure and live godly lives of holiness in your eternal word, and walking in its truth. May the words of our mouths, our meditation thoughts, and every movement of our hearts be always pure, pleasing, and acceptable before your eyes, our only Redeemer and our God. Lord, fill us with your grace to live in abundant life, that we may always obey your truth. Open our eyes to see the miracle wonders hidden in your word. Consume us by your holy fire, so we may long to know your truth and walk in the splendor light of all that you teach us. Your commandments are our counselors. Revive us by your word, just like you have promised. Father, give us discerning hearts so that we can grow in your wisdom and understanding of your truth. Guide us into the paths that please you, for we take great delight in your perfect ways. We assure us of your faithful promises, for they are our armor and protection. In your tender kindness, breathe life into us and strengthen our inner beings by the power of your living word, for it is the source of our greatest joy. We will walk with you in complete freedom, for we seek to follow your every command. Your word is righteous, eternal, and forever unshakable. Every word that you speak to us is spirit and life. As we journey through life, we put all your statutes to music. They become the theme of our joyous songs of worship, filled with hope and radical thanksgiving from hearts of love and truth. Father, let us continually grow in your word richly and fill us with your wisdom. So we can apply your truth as we teach, counsel, and instruct one another in our lives. Every scripture has been inspired by your Holy Spirit, the living breath of God. It will empower us to take the right direction and lead us deeper into the path of godliness. So we will be fully mature. And perfectly prepare to fulfill every assignment you have given us in our lives. Lord, draw us near to your heart, so we may have an intimate relationship with you, and give us abundant grace to walk in your footsteps. May everything we do flow from a wholehearted devotion to you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen.
Just as I am Without one plea But that your blood Was shed for me And that you call me Come to thee O Lamb of God I come Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, I will receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because your promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.